As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to a live edition of the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined in the live room by one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. Tim, we're going to take some some calls and some questions from listeners as soon as the room starts filling up. But before we do, there's a lot of news for in in the Mets world uh, that we haven't spoken about yet. For one thing, Sandy Alderson will be stepping down the Mets. Uh, look for a new person to fill that position. Uh, the Mets get swept by the Cubs before winning a game Thursday night against the Pirates that let everybody exhale a little bit. And I want to talk, I mean, this is a, the probably the, the lowest on in the rung of importance, at least. But uh, Trevor Williams is a guy we just don't talk about that much, except to say, hey, he's been really good all season. Um, he's been really good all season. Are, do you think there's a chance Williams gets bigger innings down the stretch here? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with that point. Um, I, I do think, you know, having talked to people with the Mets over the last couple of weeks that, you know, when they were looking at their September bullpen hierarchy and, and kind of the way they wanted to structure various auditions for late inning roles uh, beyond kind of the given locks in that bullpen, that Williams was a guy who was going to be involved in that process that, you know, we've seen them. I think they've given him maybe two kind of like setup spots this season. One on the, the first weekend of the season, his first appearance of the season that did not go well in Washington, though I think it was Chase and Shreve who kind of got into trouble in that inning. Uh, and then one uh, in maybe in, in, in mid early August, mid August uh, that he, he was fine in. Uh, so, you know, that he's another guy they could think of in that role. He's probably he probably takes a back seat behind, uh, you know, Tyler McGill coming off the injured list, Drew Smith coming off the injured list, maybe David Peterson uh, trying to see what he can do as a left-hander because that's different than everyone else in the bullpen. But the idea of, you know, a lot of times your your long man does not get added to the postseason roster because you've got days off. You don't need a long man as much. But Williams has been so good in that role uh, that you can imagine him being part of the postseason roster, uh, whether it's just to eat up innings or to pitch good innings behind a starter who, who goes short, uh, you know, the same way that like Darren Oliver was an important piece of the, the 2006 Mets uh, and the guy who like they contemplated starting in game seven of that NLCS uh, because of what had happened to their rotation. 
Williams, if even if you exclude the great start against the Marlins in, in early July and the, and the lousier start against the Rangers also in early July, if you just go back to the start of July just for relief appearances, uh, he's a 1.35 ERA. Uh, obviously, it's it's a bit over his head. Um, the the ERA better than the the fielding independent pitching, but 274 for for the FIP. That's still good, uh, you know. And and when you see him pitch like he did in that game Thursday night, in which um, you know the Mets were largely out of it when he came in in the first inning, but uh, he, he held he held the the spot for them at the very least and. Uh, was very convincing, striking out a lot of Pirates. Again, it's the Pirates, so, you know, grain of salt there. But uh, I don't know. You know, again, like like you said, it does seem like it makes sense and, and like they will want to see McGill uh, take some opportunities in that role. But it seems like there's there are worse fallback options here for your last bullpen spot than a guy who has a, you know, dating back to the All-Star break, has barely allowed any runs. Don't don't confuse Trevor Williams' former teams. It was against the Cubs, not the Pirates, oh, that he was bad. striking everyone out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, I was talking to to a member of the Mets bullpen the other day, uh, and he was he was saying how how nice it's been the way Showalter has used the bullpen. Uh, that everyone kind of feels fresh in September in a way that that in a lot of years they don't. Uh, and part of that is uh, that he has you know I asked like what what does he do. That, that makes him good at keeping you guys fresh. And he says, you know, he doesn't he doesn't chase too many wins. Uh, like, you know, you're down. Certainly Wednesday is a, an anomaly and six nothing in the first inning. You're not going to chase that win. But, you know, you're down six to three in the eighth inning. You're not using uh, an Adam Adovino to keep you in the game or something like that. Um, but a, a big part of being able to do that and not use your kind of your, your go to relievers when you're trailing by a run or two is that the other guys have pitched. Uh, really well, kind of the the guys who aren't your go-to guys, uh, and Williams is one of those. You know, just that outing on Wednesday set them up. They they didn't need their bullpen uh, the way they might have otherwise Thursday because it was a seven-to-one game. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can see, like, if Williams goes short on Wednesday and you got to start pitching, you know, important relievers in that game, uh, then your Thursday bullpen is messed up. Your Friday bullpen is messed up. So him being able to give them, I think, it was four and two-thirds innings. Uh, really set them up better for this four-game series against Pittsburgh. Uh, and, you know, it's not just him. It, it's other guys. It's, you know, Colin Holderman when he was here, Steven Nagosik, Adonis Medina before he was DFA'd. A lot of those type pitchers, Yoan Lopez, have pitched reasonably well. Uh, it, they, they haven't been guys, you know, in the past, the the shuttle guys between AAA and the major leagues were pitching to, you know, a five and a half, six ERA this year. I haven't done the math, but I'm, I'm guessing it's probably uh, right around four or four and a half. And that's, that's a pretty big difference uh, to keep you in games uh, and save, preserve your, your arms for when you really need them. And I guess it's a testament to the more proven arms in the Mets bullpen, uh, not just Edwin Diaz, but Adam Alavino and, and Seth Lugo, that none of those guys has really like been even tasked with stepping up into the later inning role, which is again like something we've been talking about all year long. Uh, like who's going to fill that role? Where where's it going to be? You know who are they going to get? Uh, they got Michael Givens. He's been a lot better since his his first outing. Uh, but you know uh, there I think on on other teams or on other Mets teams certainly uh, there would be spots where it would be like oh Adonis Medina is our guy now for for a while in the seventh inning and and it never really came to that for this team. 
Yeah, you know, it, it, we've seen in past instances, it's like, oh, yeah, Robert Gazelman is the eighth inning guy now. Uh, or, you know, Jerry's Familia, when he was really struggling a couple of years ago, was still the eighth inning guy. Uh, so uh, it's really been a pretty stable uh, late game situation for them since I would say mid July, like when when Lugo really found his stride, which I think it was really that perform the the he had a game against the Yankees where he pitched really well and just looked the way we're used to seeing Seth Lugo look, a way he hadn't looked since you know early in the 2020 season out of the bullpen. Uh, since then, uh, they've had a pretty good sense of what they want to do late in games with with Lugo when he's available without Avino most nights, uh, and you know with with Givens and or Trevor May when he's healthy ahead of the you know pitching in the sixth or seventh ahead of those guys. Uh, so that that part has stabilized a little. There, there's still the search for added elements to it. You know whether it's a guy who can get lefties out. You know they one thing is they talk about you know I've, I've seen it reported. I've seen it uh, and I, I I don't I don't doubt the reporting. I do believe the Mets think this that Lugo could be their left-handed reliever in the postseason because he's been so good against left-handed mm-hmm. hitters this year and that dates back. Uh, you know for most of his career he's been really good against left-handed hitters uh, outside of really last season. Uh, but the problem with that is you know you don't want to use Seth Lugo as uh, a guy who comes in for uh, one batter at the end of an inning or for three batters. Uh, you kind of like using him for six outs. Uh, and if you use him for six outs on, on Monday, you're not going to bring him back and use him for six outs or, or any outs really on Tuesday. So if he's your left-hander, you, you like having your left-handed reliever uh, available every night because the left-handed hitters are there every night. Uh, and I don't know if Lugo fits that mold in terms of a usage or a deployment rate uh, that a usual lefty reliever does. I want to get to questions, and I want to get to Alderson as well. But uh, before we do, just real quick, what, what's the latest on Tyler McGill? Because it feels like he's been right around the corner for a while now. Well, yeah, the, the rough rehab started earlier in the week, so he's going he's gonna to have one more this weekend. And, and the hope is that uh, after that he can join the team uh, in, in the big leagues. Uh, and you know they can, can roll with it and see what he can do. Uh, kind of in the same vein as Lugo, a guy who can do get more than three outs you know last time we talked about him they were in between whether they wanted him to go back-to-back days or to get more than three outs they've decided on more than three outs uh so uh he'll get that opportunity and and as buck showalter said he's probably going to be thrown into the deep end a little bit at the major league level here uh that they're not going to ease him in with uh you know uh, the fifth and sixth innings of a of an eight nothing game uh it's probably going to be uh a tight game that you know they don't have the luxury of doing that so it's, it's going to be when he's ready, it, it doesn't matter what the game situation is. They're going to they're gonna see what he can do. Good. I want to see what he could do. Kevin F. has been waiting on the line. Kevin, what's going on? Uh, thanks. Um, as the Mets have sort of slid here a little bit, and it's 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 more about other teams that are uh, in the mix right now, do you guys consider St. Louis to be a legitimate threat um, to actually come over and take over that two spot? And then what would be the implications of that in terms of playoff seeding and, and what the Mets have really been thinking about um, as the season's progressed towards – the importance of winning that division. Yeah, it's a good, a good question, Kevin, because uh, I, th- I think I mentioned it the other day, like the idea that the, the NL Central winner would be anywhere close to the NL East winner uh, felt uh, impossible like a month ago, maybe, maybe six weeks ago. Uh, the, you know, the Cardinals are still five and a half behind the Mets, five back in the loss column. Uh, so it's unlikely, but, you know, we've seen the Mets have 17 Seven games left. 17 to game, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we, we, know, we know the math there. Uh, so it's it's possible that, that St. Louis can catch them. I, it's probably unlikely that St. Louis catches the NL East winner. Like, it's it's if they catch the Mets, the Met, it's because the Mets have played poorly, uh, but then Atlanta will probably have passed the Mets uh, or vice versa. 
but I, I do, you know, the implications of being, let's say the Mets win the division, but are behind St. Louis, they're the number three seed. Uh, that is much worse um, than being the number two seed because you're, you're using, uh, you know, I think you match up with St. Louis in a second round division series matchup, uh, which I think is going to, is difficult. Like, I think the, I, the idea that the, the National League is just the Dodgers, Mets, and Atlanta, uh, no. Like, <laughs> St. Louis has played really well for a long stretch of time, and we know what they can do in the playoffs. They've done it, a, you know, when Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, and Albert Pujols are on the Cardinals, they do very well in the postseason. Um, so, you know, that, that's a team that would scare me if the Mets had home field advantage. If they don't, and if they've had to pitch Scherzer and DeGrom in a wild card series, whether it's against, you know, San Diego's in that spot now, could be Milwaukee, could be Philadelphia. Uh, if you've got to use those guys in a wild card series, it just it just really hurts you moving forward uh, in a, a division series in an LCS. It just you know that's it's a start you lose from from Scherzer, a start you lose from Degrom, maybe from Bassett, uh, and it sets you back move, going ahead. So I, I think you know that uh, you really really want to win the division. You know the Mets' chances of winning the pennant I think really hinge on them on them winning the division and getting that first first round by. Yeah, I'll just note that the Cardinals, uh, while they've closed the gap a little bit, it's not like they've been red hot lately, five and five in their last ten. But uh, they've got the, you know, they've got the star power, which kind of scares you in the playoffs that you're going to have to face Paul Goldschmidt in a whole lot of times. Uh, you don't like that. Jesse M is waiting to ask. Oh, no, he's not. He was there. And then fleeting. We have some questions in the chat. Uh, Christopher S wants to know. This is I've seen this a lot, a lot of talk. Uh, on social media about Dom Smith. Has Dom Smith played his last game as a Met? You know, I, I thought so in July, uh, and he has not played for them since, um, when, you know, when he got hurt in July. Uh, so I think that probably is still the case um, that, you know, right now they've got guys ahead of him in, in Vogelback and Naquin. There, there's really no spot on the major league roster for him. Uh, oh, we've got Jesse M. Yeah, Jesse, Jesse, you there? I'm here. I'm no longer fleeting. Thank you, guys. Um, uh, so McGill coming shortly, Scherzer coming back shortly, and then Smith coming back shortly. They're, you know, I'm sure they can DFA Claudio, and they'll probably come up with some kind of phony baloney IL stint for Hunter. But where's the third bullpen roster spot going to come from? Are they looking at potentially DFAing Joely? I think that would be an option. Um, I'd have to, I'm trying to think through the math here. Uh, you know, it, it would probably be Rodriguez or Williams, uh, just off the top of my head, because um, you, you've sent Montez de Oca down. So, uh, yeah, it, it would. I think they'd want to see what Peterson can do as a lefty reliever before they do that with Rodriguez. Uh, so I think that's why you know Peterson started Wednesday through 29 pitches. Uh, they've talked about him being available in the bullpen as soon as tonight. Friday, uh, probably more likely tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, but they want to see what he can do uh, out of the pen, give him as much of an audition as possible. And, you know, if if it works, then you feel a little bit more comfortable moving on from both Claudio and, and Rodriguez. Uh, if it doesn't, then maybe you want to hang on to, to ULE and have him as your, your lefty reliever, even just a, a threat warming up in the bullpen uh, in the postseason. So I, I do think that that third move is an interesting one. That's probably where I would go, but I'd have to sit down and do do a little bit more math on it to make sure. Oh, I mean, that's a you know given, and obviously we have we have a horse in this race because we spent a, a bunch of time talking about him at the top of the show. But like that would be a a dirty thing to do to Trevor Williams after he if he did, like, practically doesn't allow a run after the All Star break. He saves the pitching staff time and again, and now you're gonna you're gonna cut him in the last week of the season. 
Uh, <laughs> I would be surprised if they did that. But it's cruel. Baseball is cruel. It is, yeah, I mean, uh, I remember uh, I covered one Super Bowl. Uh, it involved the Patriots. Uh, and I believe that they uh, released a player that morning, the morning of the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, so thoughts on Dom Smith before we take more th- from the chat. You're saying... Right. So, I mean, you, you've got Naquin ahead of him and Vogelback. Uh you know, Vogelback is under team control next year as well and, and really fills the role that you would have wanted Smith to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it, it's it's likely Dom Smith has played his last game as a Met. We've we've been proven wrong. Like I would have thought that he would have been traded at the, the deadline. Maybe the injury had helped postpone that. Uh, one interesting thing about Dom Smith is that he has been affected as much as as any other hitter on the Mets by shifting uh, this these past two seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if... Smith, if you're another team and you want to talk yourself into Dom Smith, you say this is a guy who maybe with the limitations coming in on the shift uh, will have a better chance to hit for a higher average moving forward than he has the last two seasons. Uh, that that would be your argument. Uh, in fit, that, that's that's how I would make a Dom Smith pitch uh, if I were the Mets trying to deal him. And like he's been pretty good in AAA, but not. I mean, and he's been hot lately. I'm I'm going through the game log here. Uh, date back to start of august uh we're pulling up uh 820 ops so it's like again like pretty good but not i don't know it's not like he's and and again like as a fan love dom smith wish him the best he seems like a class act he seems like an interesting guy uh he seems like he has a lot of talent but it's not like he's he's banged down the door from AAA and and deserves like you know ha- has to have a spot on this roster when when vogelback is doing his job yeah, I mean, like you said, he's not knocking down the doors. Uh, Vogelback has, has, you know, been cold lately. Had two big hits uh, on Thursday night. Maybe that gets him going again. Uh, but there, there's not really a strong argument to be made in favor of Dom Smith being on the roster right now, even in in its expanded form. Uh, and looking ahead to next year, I mean, he's he's a guy who who could be you know traded and or just non-tendered. Uh, at the, the tender deadline in December uh, as he enters, I think, his third of four years of arbitration. Uh, so it, it's to, to me, it still seems likely that, that we're not going to see Dom Smith in Mets uniform again. RJ is waiting to ask a question. RJ, what's going on? Hi, thanks for taking my call. My question is, our DHs are batting under 100 for approximately a month and a half. Is that a slump or is that a lack of talent? We we lost we lost the question. You 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 mentioned the the DH is bad. Oh, I, I heard him under a hundred. He said the DH. No, oh, you said, is that a slump or or is that a lack of talent? Uh, that's a slump. Uh, they're, they're not they're not true talent. Um, you know, sub one hundred hitters. Um, it's it's really unfortunate that it's happened for both of them at the same time. Uh, in Vogelback and Ruff, and I, you know, I think one of the the main arguments you could have you may you would make for trading for Ruff in July was. You know, this is and the, the main argument for using Ruff over Vientos at that point, you know, making the deal for Ruff, the four for one deal for Ruff rather than just calling up Vientos was uh, a more established track record in the major leagues. And a guy, you know, has played this part time role and succeeded in it, uh, which is really a really hard transition for a young player to make. But even if you have a hitter every bit as good as Darren Ruff in the minor leagues, ready to come up and hit, uh, he's not used to playing on a part time basis like you have to when you're the platoon bat against left-handed hitters mm-hmm. uh, and that's one of the reasons it's been as surprising as it has been that that Ruff has struggled this much uh, with the Mets uh, I forget what the overall numbers are he did get a hit in his last start finally 
to end a prolonged offer. Uh, you know, it's it's not a true talent thing. It's a deep slump. I mean, neither of them is are high average hitters. It's not like you expect them to go out and hit 300 combined. It's probably like a 220, 230 average you, you expect to get out of them with a higher on base, especially because of Vogelbach's walks, and then some power that uh, they weren't getting out of the position the first four months of the year. Uh, you know, clearly that platoon has not worked out as as hoped for uh, over the last month, especially. Uh, but there is still time for them to, you know, it's it's not a lost cause entirely uh, with the two of them just yet. Also, if you go back a month, just for the record, Vogelback, 182. That's over 100. <laughs> I mean, it might have helped that he had two hits in, in last night's game. <laughs> it's nitpicking. Uh, uh, he hasn't, but, but again, like, I, I'm with you. It's 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 a slump. Like, you got to understand this guy had a career week for the Mets, and he was a good hitter for most of it. So uh, you have to assume he's coming back. Brian S. is on the line. What's up, Brian? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi. Um, thanks again for having uh, the call, guys. Um, question, uh, Starling Marte. Um, I feel like that's a big piece of their offense, and they've been relatively nebulous on exactly how long he'll be out. Um, from what I've looked up you know, on the, uh, on the, uh, the Twitter uh, WebMD, it looks like three to four weeks is normal um, recovery time for a, a, a non-displaced broken finger. But apparently someone on Twitter said that possibly he could be back for the Brave series. Do you think that's a realistic um, target? Yeah, I mean, that was a very good use of the word nebulous, Brian. It's one of my favorite words, uh, and you're exactly right. The Mets have not really, you know, I, I've, I've been actually pleasantly surprised by how uh, how detailed they have been with some of their prognoses this year, you know, with, with Scherzer's initial oblique injury, with Carrasco's hamstring injury, that they, they've talked about, okay, it should be this amount of time. Uh, with Marte, they have not said that, and I think there's been – uh, they're not exactly sure how much time it should take. You know, obviously the, the delay in placing him on the injured list was a byproduct of that. Uh, and so we don't we don't quite know. You know, he's eligible to come off soon. Uh, I don't know the exact day. I have to look that up. Um, but you know, it's a 10-day IL, so it, it, it's probably this weekend or, or early next week. Too, uh, yeah, yeah he, will not, he will not be back at that point. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's probably within the realm of it's, – it's plausible and maybe reasonable that he would be back for that Atlanta series the last weekend of the season and, and maybe even before. 
I think nebulous is a good word, but is it is it better for this? Is it more accurate than just saying they've been vague? <laughs> nebulous is always more fun than vague. Yeah, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's nice to we don't have to always force people to the to. We um, could say they've been vague. Uh, Yanni is waiting to ask us a question. What's up, Yanni? Welcome back. Hey guys, thanks again for having me. Um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about perspective of the um, of the recent Met slump as a whole, and ask a question um, specific to historical context. Um, you know, I I the Mets play obviously has been making a lot of Mets fans nervous. I still have had this really strong feeling. You know, it's the you got to believe optimist feeling that has somehow overpowered this year. Um, what I'm, you know, my my usual cynicism and and it's just uh, from watching this team all season seem like they will pull through and that the Braves are are helping them do so now. If the Mets end up winning the division, big if. Um, but if the Mets end up winning the division, I might almost look back at this time like a blessing in disguise, a time that the Mets were tested, a time that the Mets um, really slumped worse than you could probably say worse at any point in the season and when it mattered most. Um, so teaching them to come together uh, and play good with the caveat that they need to play good. They need to play well the rest of the season to win the division. So that was my ca that was my big if if they win the division. Um, but my point is, uh, it seems like it's good to get it out of their system now and be on an upswing heading into the playoffs and also have that experience of faltering when your back's against the wall. I was wondering if either of you know, if you've looked into it or remember from your experience off the top of your head, um, you know, big, big uh, playoff teams, with big hopes or teams that ended up winning the World Series that went through a similar uh, swoon while they were in a big race uh, at the end of the season that everyone forgot about because they, you know, did very well in the playoffs and, and or won the World Series. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to, the, the, the two that, that always come to mind are the, the 2000 Yankees who went, I think, three and, and 14 or something down the stretch of that season uh, and then won the World Series. Uh, and more recently, the, the 2017 Dodgers who I, I think they had a stretch where they when they lost like 15 out of 16 or 16 out of 17 even like some insanely bad stretch uh, in late August and early September uh, they, and then they ended up going to Game Seven of the World Series against Houston. Neither of those teams I think was in a tight race at the time. Uh, you know actually so here here's a good example the the 2006 Tigers were a team that had a, a pretty substantial lead on the Twins all all season long. Minnesota caught them uh, in September. Uh, passed them in the division. The Tigers ended up as the wild card. You know, the, the punishment for being the wild card was not as severe at that point in time, but it was still relatively severe in that they had to play a Yankees team that most people thought was going to walk to the World Series that 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 fall, uh, and, and Detroit beat them in, in four. They swept Oakland in the ALCS uh, and ended up going to the World Series before losing to St. Louis there. So that's a team that had a rough September uh, in a race, lost the race, and rebounded in order to, to have a, a really nice postseason. Um, you know, it's like you said, kind of the way you'll view this period in time is going to be colored by what the Mets do right. after it. Um, and that's the, that's know, the key. Yeah. Like we don't, we, we talk about the September 2007 collapse, of course, because, uh, the Mets did not make the playoffs. Like had the Mets held on and made the playoffs, you would have felt pretty good about their chances in a watered down national league that, that year. And, Even, and we'll, and we also talk about the 2008 collapse when, if you look at it, 
they were like 10 and 10 down there. You know, it, was, it wasn't real. They, they middled to the end. They just didn't play as well as the Phillies you know right like it was just um you know I, like we again like the narrative sort of takes over and you say oh they collapsed again uh, and it was easy to feel that way because they couldn't hold the lead because they had the worst bullpen of all time but uh you, you know it's it's narrative I think right yeah and like you know we don't we don't remember the I mean the, the one that was most devastating to me at the time was was the 99 September collapse September swoon really when I think they lost seven in a row at one point and went from like a relatively comfortable wild card lead to then being caught by Cincinnati Cincinnati uh, and Pat, you know, Cincinnati was up, uh, I think, a couple games going into the final weekend of the season. Uh, and that's ended up tracking them down and winning the, the one game playoff, which, again, makes that seven game losing streak less memorable because because of what they did. Uh, I, I think it is important to, to contextualize this. Uh, people are always in a rush to use the word collapse. Uh, and, you know, the the five and 12 stretch down in the final 17 games in, in 2007, the seven and 20 September that the 2011 Red Sox put together, uh, which overshadowed a, a, a similar collapse by the 2011, uh, by 20, Atlanta in 2011, when they lost it out to, to St. Louis in the wild card in the, the national league. Like those are collapses. The Mets, Mets have not collapsed here. If they lose their next six games, then you can start talk, to talk about it. Uh, but the the problem is they're in a race where they don't need to collapse to lose the race. <laughs> like it's it's a tight race. They were up a half game uh, at the start of September or something like that. You know, a game. You know, it was a slim lead at the start of September. Uh, they just needed to play a little bit worse than a team that was playing well in Atlanta to lose the division. Uh, and to this point, they they haven't done that in part because Atlanta has cooled off as well. Right. I think that I I would have to guess that. If you went through and whatever means you wanted to use to determine what team was hot coming into the postseason and what team was cold coming into the postseason, and, and even you know understanding that that the postseason rosters are fundamentally different than the regular season rosters, uh, I would have to guess that you would find if you you know bore it out over enough time that the hot team that comes into the postseason wins the first series about 50% of the time, and the cold team wins their first series about 50% of the time. And, like, I, I hate that it is that way because you'd love to believe in the the narrative aspect of it, but uh, baseball is – there's just, like, too many variables and it's too fickle. And those – I think you, you you get there. I think the point is to get there. Uh, you want to get the buy, obviously. The fewer postseason series you have to win, uh, the easier it is to make it to the World Series. But I just don't think that there is really and, – and this is – I don't know. Maybe this seems uh, sacrosanct in some way. I just don't really think that there's that much carryover from the regular season to the postseason. I think the, the goal should be to get there. Cleveland in 2016 went 10 and right. 10 to finish the season. They went to the World Series. We're up three to one in the World Series. Cleveland in 2017 went 32 and four to finish the season. Uh, won the first two games of the division series. Didn't win another game. Uh, and so that, I think that that sums it up pretty pretty succinctly. Uh, that that what you do going into the postseason doesn't necessarily carry over. Uh, I want to uh, go to the chat for a two-part question from two different listeners. One is from uh, the first half is from Mark P. The second half is from Jose B. Uh, Mark wants to know: Is the timing odd that they announced now that Sandy Alderson is leaving? We knew he wasn't sticking around in his current role, but why now with 18 or so games left to play? And then Jose B. wants to know who can be a suitable replacement for Alderson. Is Theo Epstein a possibility? Yeah. So. Uh, it is a little bit of an odd timing. It's, it probably helps the Mets get a jump start on candidates that they're interviewing. Uh, 
that that Alderson has said, you know, he's he's going to step aside once they, <laughs> they have wanted a to wait until the they wanted to wait until the Brewers were mathematically eliminated. <laughs> um, and and like you know what I've heard so far uh, is that they are looking more at the kind of the business side than you know. Remember that like Alderson is not the president of baseball operations. Um, he is the team president. That's a different job. Um, you know, let's take. Let's take uh, the Yankees, for example, like Brian Cashman is the general manager. He runs their baseball operations. Randy Levine is the team president. Mm -hmm. uh, so this would be like, you know, if Randy Levine were leaving the Yankees, you wouldn't automatically say, oh, they should hire David Stearns to replace him. Um, now, there are teams that have fused those roles a little bit. You know, uh, Dave Dombrowski, when he was with the Tigers, was hired as the team president, fired the GM and became the head of baseball operations. Uh, Mark Shapiro in Toronto, you know, he had run baseball ops in Cleveland. He got hired as the team president in Toronto. Uh, and, they, you know, they have a GM under him. But I believe he, is, he has at least some involvement in baseball ops. So, you know, if the Mets wanted to fuse president of baseball ops and team president together to hire someone like Stearns, like De like Theo Epstein, uh, that's an option. I don't know, you know, I don't know whether David Stearns wants to have the business responsibilities there. I mean, they can finagle what the, the actual responsibilities are. Um, you know, I don't right, know. You can if... hire, you can call him a president and hire like an accountant to be his, <laughs> right? I mean, because uh, because Andrew Friedman is the is the team president, Billy Bean is a team president, right? Like this is, this has become sort of that the traditional role that we used to call general manager in for many teams at least it seems like the you know meaning the buck stops here guy is now the team president well i, I do want to you know president of baseball ops and team president aren't the same uh, right. so a lot of teams that have a president of baseball ops they they also okay. have a like separate Fried, team friedman team. is the team president of baseball ops yeah yeah uh, to adding another layer of confusion. So they, they can fuse those roles. It's entirely possible, maybe even likely, that the guy they hire for that role is someone that you've never heard of, that I've never heard of, and that we don't hear from, we don't hear a lot about uh, for a little while. You know, like, uh, you know, someone who is, uh, you know, like a, a CEO type, a, a chief revenue officer, like people in those kinds of roles, rather than people who are making baseball decisions that you know and, and, and have opinions on. Uh, so I think that that's possible. Theo Epstein, uh, you know, was never going to take a president of baseball ops job with the Mets because he wanted a different challenge. Uh, it's in, It seems possible that uh, he is satisfied in his job with the commissioner's office in, in uh, finding that next challenge. I mean, they're uh, making he, they're making changes, right? Like yeah, the first he's, time he's, is, yeah, he has an active role in that. Uh, if he did want to get back involved on the team side, I would think it would be as something, you know, with potentially an ownership stake. Uh, and maybe the Mets could offer that along with the team president role. I don't know if he has, again, the business bona fides that they would want. Uh, because this, this, is a, this is a role that might be like trying to develop the area around City Field more so than trying to develop a starting pitching staff. But don't uh, you so, think Theo Epstein would be really good at that? <laughs> right? I mean, like, I, I actually, I, I, I'm curious how involved he was in what they did at Wrigleyville uh, over the past uh, 10 years or so. Um, but th that's the kind of role we're talking about more so than, than the one that I think fans think it is. I think that Theo Epstein should go do the Rockies pro bono and just be like, I'm going to make the Rockies really good now just to show you what I can do. It, that would be wonderful. I, I think the Rockies might be the hardest, the, the hardest job uh, in baseball as a, a, a GM or president of baseball ops. Uh, and I would like to see like various potential Hall of Famers take on that job for like a three year stretch just to see what they can do. Make it like a reality show challenge. 
if the UFC can take the Rockies to a championship, then you can, like, I don't know if there's a waiting period for executives, but just, like, cast him in bronze and put him at the entr- entryway to the Hall of Fame. Uh, we'll take one last question uh, from Eddie D., who is on the line. Eddie, what's going on? Yeah, hey, everyone. Um, thanks for bringing me back on. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on the um, the Sports Illustrated article that uh, came out today. I'm not sure if that had already been talked about at all, but one thing that sort of caught my attention was um, the last few paragraphs talking about the player animosity toward uh, Gary Keith and Ron and wondering if you'd heard anything to that effect Um uh, from the players, obviously anonymously, and um, you know wh- how that actually uh, has impacted their morale. I mean, it read the, uh, to me a little bit like that was uh, potentially, um, I don't know, uh, acting a little childish to to get that riled up about the the team's broadcasters. But um, I don't know. I wanted to get your perspective on that. I mean, yeah, Eddie, uh, that's a good question. Uh, that that piece by Stephanie Epstein was was a good read this morning. Um, you know, having covered uh, the Red Sox, who had the kind of infamous David Price, Dennis Eckersley spat uh, back in, what was that, 2016 or 2017, maybe? Um, you know, the, those were two teams, both both of them who, you know, the, look, I've, I've heard that the Mets, I haven't heard this strictly from players, but I have heard that the Mets kind of roll their eyes sometimes when their own broadcast is critical of them. Uh, and that is because most other teams' broadcasts are not critical of the team. Right. Uh, that's because, you know, probably 26 or 27 of the 30 broadcasts wouldn't come anywhere close to saying what the Mets broadcasters say. It's one of the reasons the Mets broadcast is so good. Uh, and when I did a story a couple of years ago, I did, I did two stories a few years back on, on Howie Rose and on, on Gary, Keith, and Ron. And in both of them, they talked about, you know, like, we we're broadcasting to a smart audience. We're not going to to talk about how how awesome everything is when it's not awesome, because then you lose how awesome it is when things are really good. Um, so uh, that's the way they they've approached those broadcasts. A lot of players aren't used to that. You know, Price, for instance, in Boston was not. You know, he got mad because Dennis Eckersley uh, responded to a bad rehab start by Eduardo Rodriguez by saying yuck, um, and he thought that was that was not something that a, a team broadcaster should say about a player on that team. Uh, and, you know, they get upset. These are guys flying with us on the plane. That's where Price confronted Eckersley about it. How so that's that kind help? of how does that help the Cincinnati Reds win baseball games? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Um, so uh, that's I don't think that attitude is uh, specific to Mets players. I think most players probably feel that way. Um, and it's just that the Mets broadcast is is just a, is, is critical when it needs to be. Uh, and it's it's one of the things that makes it a good broadcast, uh, but we just don't see that enough in other uh, other areas. And and is it childish? I mean, it's it's kind of the expectation uh, from players. Yeah. Uh, the same way that like you know when I wrote for a student newspaper in college, the expectation was that it would be very positive all the time, uh, and we weren't. And that annoyed players, coaches, uh, administrators <laughs> at the university. Like there's just a, a different feel to when you know you're. When, when players feel you should be on their team, you're on their side, right. uh, and you criticize them. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you said, I don't think it's it's atypical for for any team with a, a mostly objective broadcast. 
Uh, I don't. I don't think it's surprising at all. Like it's just a. It's just a thing that happens. Players. I think it's confusing. I think in with the nature of SNY, it's probably especially confusing because it is a, a team-owned network, um, and because like probably 50% of broadcasts are just openly rooting for the for the team they cover. Like and not. Um, not that there's anything. I, I don't actually think there's anything wrong with it, but. Um, it does. It is as a Mets fan. When you hear that, it's jarring because you're so used to objectivity from the booth. And so, um, if you're coming from one of those places as a player, then I think it's probably it's certainly jarring when you're you go back into the clubhouse and you hear Keith Hernandez giving an, an honest assessment of a of a poor play, which is his right to do because he's Keith Hernandez. Right, and you know there are I think. The, one of the things I realized when I moved to the Mets beat was just how much the the SNY broadcast, uh, you know, dictated how fans thought about a certain play. You know, if if a first baseman made a, a, a you know, you might call it if, like was was that the wrong play? Should he have been in this spot? Should he have been in that spot? Uh, and Keith Hernandez says no, he should have been in that spot. He wasn't there. That's a bad play. Uh, you'd get a lot of fans saying like, did you ask the first baseman about this? Um, so uh, you know, you you understand why. A, a critique from that booth might annoy players, uh, especially if they feel it's it's wrong. I don't think it is. I think most of almost all of the time it is justified. But again, it, it's kind of how they've been wired, especially when they come from other markets where they are used to. You know, it, you all have probably heard broadcasts, whether it's going back to like Hawk Harrelson uh, with the White Sox. Atlanta's broadcast is, has always seemed a little bit homerish to me. Uh, there's a couple others I could name, um, but uh, when you come from places like that, it's 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 different when you come to to this place uh, and you hear your own broadcaster say, "No, he should have done this differently." Yeah, and it's you know, and I would guess that if you ask the guys in the SNY booth, they would say that's a little bit of a compliment, right? Like that you you because their job is to tell you what's happening, not to spin it like the Mets have have never made an error. Right. And I, I have talked to them. <laughs> they do find it that way. So there you go. Uh, well, good. I, I accurately predicted the, the response of my former co-workers. <laughs> um, uh, that's all the time we've got for today. Uh, we will be back early next week with a, a recorded show. If you've got questions for that one, please do email uh, asktedberg at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter. Tim is at Tim Britton. I am at OG Ted Berg. Uh, Tim, until next week, peace out. Adios. Adios.